When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. And welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I'm Ben Bullen. And we've got a, uh, I guess, uh, a topic today that we're going to kind of closely follow a list. We've done these in the past. Yeah. And uh, it's going to kind of maybe spin off into maybe some other things towards the end of the podcast. Right. Some superlatives. And probably spin off into a sequel after Mm -hmm. that. Well, maybe. Yeah, that's right. We talked about doing some some additional um, research beyond this one. So there's there's a little bit more beyond what we're going to talk about today coming, you know, down the pipeline somewhere. Right. So here's what happened. We found a list. um, You found a list and shared it with me um, about... Cars that have changed the face of the automotive world um, in maybe some unlikely ways, and you and I don't completely agree with everything on this list. Yeah, I guess not. I mean, there's a there's some nitpicking that we can do along the way, I guess. And I don't want to I don't want to be too picky about it, but I just want to say that you know I I, I rarely trust lists of, of firsts, you know, anything that says yeah. we're first to do this or we're the, we're the best to do this. Automotive superlative lists are often incorrect in that, you know, there's there's always something else or there's always someone else who's tried it before. Now, the difference is with this this list, and this this comes from an article in Popular Mechanics, um, and the title of the article is 10 Unlikely Autos That Change Cars Forever. And the unlikely autos part is what's really key here in that, you know, some of these cars that you're going to hear about, they're really... I mean, in some respects, they're kind of unremarkable, but in other ways, they're, they're incredibly remarkable in that they did change the way people did things. These are like the automotive pioneers vehicles. Yeah, the groundbreakers. Yeah, the groundbreakers, the the test beds, the proving grounds Mm -hmm. that led to great advancements in auto, in automotive uh, manufacturing and, and the industry, really, and that allowed other manufacturers to say, yeah, we can do that as well. We can try to do it a little better. Mm-hmm. And it's something that has changed along the way. And I've got a kind of an, an example of this, Ben, our, just right off the top that I want to kind of share that maybe will give people an idea of what we're talking about okay. here. Because um, we're not talking about, when we say superlatives and we say like firsts or the best to do something, a lot of times what you'll think of is like cars that claim to have like the longest wheelbase car, right? Something right, like that. Yeah. Okay. So the longest wheelbase, if you, if you take that 
someone could always top that. Somebody could say, you know, somebody could build a car that's one inch longer, you know, that has a, a wheelbase that's half an inch longer than that and say that this is the longest American car production wheelbase that we sure. have. I, I probably screwed up the way I said that, but, no, I got uh, it. you know, someone could always top that in some way. But let's say that you have a car that is the first to use electric power windows. Well, that car is always going to be the first vehicle to have electric power windows, and no one can ever take that away. It's always going to be the first to do that, and it's always right. going to be an advancement. You know, something like that that we talk about that um, you know other manufacturers have, have you know grabbed onto and said that's a good idea. I'm going to also put electric power windows into my car. And by the way, the first one to do that was the 1938 Buick Y job that Harley <laughs> Earl designed. So you know that goes way way back, but. You know, the cars we're going to talk about, you know, you're not going to be, you know, blown away by the type of vehicle it is. Right. But what's interesting about them is, you know, the, the, uh, the one little bit of technology that sets them apart from every other car, and it was the first to do that, and it did lead to industry changing ideas. And as we dive right in, let me go ahead and get this off at the top to save some people some emails. Uh, one of the biggest caveats, one of the most common asterisks in these sorts of lists will always be production car so there will there it's very difficult for anyone to find the literal first example of a car that had an innovation and as we're talking and i I just want to clear this as well and this is just so that we avoid maybe a hundred emails ben (laughs) that um there are qualifiers to seems like to each one of these now throughout this whole thing they're going to be qualifiers like the first large production unibody truck which is what we're going to talk about first right and and you heard me say large production unibody truck. Now, it's going to be, there's also going to be small production unibody trucks, and there's going to be small production unibody cars, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. This is, this is very important that the qualifiers are there. I don't know if we're going to be able to read all of them. So if you don't hear something, just understand that this list was put together by somebody who did the research, obviously. Yeah. We do have a little bit of quibble with some of it, but I'm not going to, I'm just going to kind of leave that out because there, there's some, I guess some variations of these things that I've heard about in the past, like let's say that, you know, we're going to mention the Jeep Cherokee and the unibody design first. Yeah, 1984 Jeep Cherokee. Exactly. Well, there's, uh, you know, other cars that used unibody before that, and there are other trucks that use unibody before that. The, the difference is that this is the first large production unibody truck. Right. So things like that along the way, don't hold us to so much detail because we're not going to be able to read these exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, hopefully you'll get the point across that these are important vehicles. Right. So the gist of that one is that it makes a, it's a different welding process. It keeps a stiffer chassis. Mm-hmm. So that's great because it weighs less and it's more sturdy than other competitors. Exactly. So lower weight, stiffer chassis. That's the important thing. And again, the 1984 Jeep. Jeep Cherokee, it's not a particularly amazing vehicle in any way, other than, you know, it had this unibody design, which was, uh, that's pretty remarkable. And I like to call that a quiet innovation. (laughs) I guess so. And Uh, another quiet one is is the uh, 2001 Nissan Pathfinder. And it has what they call autonomous off-roading, but really what that means is it had a unique electronic ascent and descent control for off-roading. Yeah. It had a, a specifically, like, the brake system was able... Was able to allow the driver to be less skilled. I guess so, yeah. Because if you're if you're going downhill off roading, you typically wouldn't keep your foot on the brake for a long period of time because it would overheat. It just would it would skid. It wouldn't work. Um, I guess in this one, uh, you can have a little bit. Uh, I guess more of a clumsy touch with the with the pedals. I suppose with the yeah. with the foot pedal or the brake pedal rather, and the accelerator. At, and the accelerator because the accelerator on this was something different as well. Um, it had a, a unique traction control system that allowed it to. 
um, you know, when you're going uphill, Ben, you often want to be like real light touch. You want to have a, kind of a feather touch on these if you're off-roading yeah. again. You yeah. know, loose surface, gravel, whatever it is, sand, anything. Um, I guess with this one, you can pretty much floor it and it will, uh, it will kind of counteract what you're doing and, and appropriately adjust the torque level to allow it to slowly climb the hill. This seems totally counterintuitive to me that it would work that way. I mean, yeah. I, I wouldn't want to floor it if I'm headed up a, a, a loose, um, a loose material hill, I guess, when yeah. an off-roading situation. Yeah, it seems you dangerous. Want a low gear and, a, and yeah, very, very slow, light touch on the accelerator. But again, I mean, this 2001 Nissan Pathfinder, it had this unique um, electronic ascent and descent control, and it was the first in the industry to do that. And a lot of four by four manufacturers followed suit with that later on. All right, now let's go to the next one, the Toyota Celica rounded design. Mm-hmm. I have a bone to pick with this one. It's okay. 1989. Sure. Okay, so the whole idea is uh, the caveats in here are that um, not in 1989, not one new panel on the Celica had a crease or sharp angle. So Toyota got rid of the Celica's previous sharper angled shape, and they set up stamping presses, right, so that they could make these perfect um the these perfect compound curved cars right mm-hmm. sure so yep. the innovation is curved stamping it was a is a more complex stamping design i guess and see i have so much less of a problem with that if you use paper you're a human but if you choose paper you're a papertarian someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day seriously It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, 
Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I guess so, but you know, they're saying that they, they want it to be um, every panel was curved. It wasn't flat. It wasn't like just uh, you could hammer something out on an anvil. You know, it's yeah. what it looked like in the past. I mean, I know it was refined and it was it was actually a pretty design. I like I like squared off designs from the from the eighties. I think they're really <laughs> cool. Like like think about the late eighties. Uh, you know, G- Volkswagen GTI designs and the rabbits and things like that. Those were those were kind of squared off, yeah. really kind of cool looking designs. Like the um, I don't know, like the Porsche nine fourteen. I, I just learned this um, about you, huh? Are uh, you into those? Yeah, I kind of like those older cars. Those mm. are kind an interesting looking and a lot of street tuner performance type cars that you know these retro cars that people are doing i think they look really cool and you know they have the flat front ends and they're they're squared off fenders and yeah. you know, kind of cool looking okay but, but in 89 toyota came out with a celica that was completely rounded and one of the main things about this thing was i guess and it wasn't really so much a design that they wanted uh that they wanted to go rounded or anything like that right. it was just that they thought well, we've got these Korean manufacturers that are going to copy these things because yep. Korean car companies were, I don't know, relatively new at the time. I, I mean, they've been around, but you know, they were starting to copy some of the Japanese designs yep. and copy them. I mean, so exactly that you know these knockoff cars were become, becoming quite a problem. Essentially, reverse engineering exactly. The process. And and why would you not buy something that looked the same that was a lot cheaper from Korea versus something that was more expensive from Japan? Uh, you know, why would you do that? So they made these curved designs so that they couldn't be mimicked. Yeah, here's my only beef with this. I understand. I, I am much more behind this and on board when you say, you know, innovative metal stamping process. But just saying rounded design? I guess so, because there was, me well, there were a lot of other cars that were rounded as well, but yes. um, I don't know. That, that is a tough one, I guess. It's the like, process they use to make it, and I respect that. But I just wanna, I just wanna lay the, uh, I just wanna lay the point down there that this is an innovation in stamping. Yeah. This is not an aesthetic innovation. Well, they called it complex compound curve stamping. So, right. So that's the difference, is that it's the first one to use that. So let's, let's move on here yeah, and yeah. tell you what, let's knock out a couple really quick here. Sure. Let's go, um, uh, Corvette. Yeah. Can you talk about Corvette? Uh, so th- always. The 2005 Chevy Corvette and what they call automotive neurology, what it really comes down to is the body and component monitoring mm-hmm. for the entire car. And, and oddly enough, that wasn't done before this, um, which is strange. I mean, you would think that, you know, the bus communication systems that are in cars now, you think they would be far more advanced even in 2005 than they were. But yeah. really, this one led to, um, it, when it debuted in 2005, it was kind of the first of its kind to monitor and control the entire car at one time, which, I, again, I'm, I'm just astonished by that. You would think that Cadillac or somebody like that would come up with something prior to that. Before they, 2005. Exactly. And that they would have launched it on a more of a luxury vehicle or something you know, higher end. I know I know Corvette's a pretty high end expensive car, but you think they would launch it on a luxury model. Um, the next one, a 1993 Isuzu pickup. This is a weird one because it's not about a car's new innovation. It's about being the last one to have a carburetor. It was the holdout. Yeah, it was the it was the last one to use a carbureted engine uh, for sale in the United States. I should say because yeah. I think there were others that you know maybe even still who knows that are that are making carbureted cars. Uh, but you know after this, after the '93 uh, Isuzu pickup, 
Um, they've switched over to electronic ignition systems and, you know, these, these high pressure fuel pumps and, um, you know, the, the carbs place, I guess, was, uh, for fuel delivery was, was ousted by electronic fuel injection, mm-hmm. uh, completely at that point in the U.S. And then after that, no carbureted cars. So again, it's a holdout. Oh, I have a question. What's that? This reminds me. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Which brings us to the 1994 Oldsmobile Aurora, uh, their innovation being origami sheet metal. Now, that sounds so strange when you Doesn't say it, it that way. Origami sheet metal. This car can also be a crane. I, I mean, that's so weird. But, it's a, it, again, it's 20 years old at this point, right? right. So 20 years ago, they were making this call, car called the Oldsmobile Aurora, and I think it had a big V8 engine in it. It was a yeah. strong car. Yeah. Uh, but what was unique about this was the way that they put the sheet metal together, right? Yeah, so they fold it and they layer it and then they weld it into these boxed sections. And previously, the manufacturers had just been using heavy beams. So this does uh, two good things. Uh, it makes the body much stiffer and then parts of the car that used to just keep rain and wind and the elements away from passengers actually became useful in in the case of an accident. Yeah, you know? they were crush zones. They were the crumple zones that we've heard so much about. And and it wasn't just, you know, that they're building big 
um, open boxes. We're talking about the way they actually folded the metal into the different sections to make it work as a, even an additional buffer. Right. So, you know, th- these, these are amazing. It's an amazing advancement, really, and it was amazing that they hadn't really thought of it prior to this. I mean, 1994, <laughs> you think that's not too long ago, 20 years, but, yeah. I mean, the body became more than just kind of a pretty cover over, you know, all the, uh, all the guts underneath. It, it's, it's part of the, um, part of the design, part of the production, part of the protection, the energy absorption that uh, that goes into every vehicle that they make. You know that hopefully hopefully keeps their their you know the uh, the car buying public alive, right? Right. And that's yes. that's what they want to do because they want you to come back and buy more cars. They can only be return customers if they can return. <laughs> exactly. Right. So let's What's move next? on. Let's move on to um, this is a really good one. I think this is a yeah. great pick. Now the 1983 Audi Quattro. And it's four-wheel drive system. And now I, I want to make sure that people understand that they weren't the first car to use four-wheel drive. And and Subaru, yes. I mean, I guess they, they mentioned here in the article Subaru. Now, Subaru was doing it already, but it was kind of a what they called a clunky system because, you know, it... Um, well, they did have a modern suspension and you know four-wheel drive system and all that. Um, they still had to use a uh, like a, a an extra transfer case shift lever to get yeah. into that four-wheel drive. So it was it was a bit of a complex, clunky system. And it to was use. part-time, exactly. And it was similar, I, I guess. Well, I, not similar, I guess. But trucks used live axles. This was using more of a modern suspension. But when Audi came out with their full-time. Uh, four-wheel drive system, what they called the Quattro system, and they demonstrated, you know, the, the benefits of this in, in many different ways. I think one of the ways was they climbed a uh, a ski jump. You remember that that, um, that commercial? commercial? Amazing yeah. commercial. It's really cool. If you haven't seen the the classic commercial where. An Audi Quattro climbs the ski jump, and I think they recreated this. And that's real, right? It's very, it's real. It's exactly right. They didn't. There was no trickery involved in that, other than the way they hooked it at the top. Uh, they recreated that recently as well for you know uh, some anniversary edition. But um, Audi's full-time four-wheel drive system or all-wheel drive system, the Quattro system in 1983, was just a. It was head and shoulders above everybody else that was doing it, including. Subaru because it was just a much easier system to use. And I know Subaru's caught up. You know, they're, they're doing something similar now. But um, Audi has always been just kind of a standout in the all-wheel drive arena. And speaking of standout, that takes us to the 1984 Lincoln Continental Mark 7. Now, this might be, uh, on the surface, this is going to sound like it's meaningless. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the first American car, uh, oh, excuse me. Volume produced, that's our asterisk, sure. American car, um, to feature non-sealed beam, flush-molded headlights. Yeah, and anti-lock braking. And anti-lock braking. So it had two advancements. Now, I know what you're saying about it seemed... It seems a little bit uh, fluffy, I guess. To mention. The anti-lock braking is huge. Well, that's, that's big. The flash, the, the, the lamps might seem... It does. It might seem like not that important, but I think you know where I'm going with this. I do. It was a huge styling improvement because prior to that point, think about the, what the front ends of cars looked like. They were relatively flat, yep. or they had a concave look to them. They had individual seal beam headlights that you know, the, like the square or round, and it was just a really unaerodynamic possibility, I guess, for for every car really because they had to design that in somehow, and they had you know some that would cover and they had some that would flip up like the Corvettes would. I understand that, but this was the first time that they they had these these non-seal beam flush mounted headlights in a design, and it really led to a lot of different advancements. I mean, think about all the cars that have that type of design from that era, from 1984 through oh my gosh, let's say all the way through um, well. 
pretty, I mean, pretty darn close to even now. I mean, yeah. I don't know what year they stopped doing something like that. Right. A lot of them now have, you know, the plexiglass covers that are, that are fading in the sunlight. You know, they have that, <laughs> all that oxidation problem. But, um, this was a, this was a big advancement in, uh, in design and, uh, it definitely deserves a mention on the list. I think so. Well, what do you think about the 1988 Mazda RX-7? Convertible. Ah, well, okay. This one is a, again, this one's a kind of simple, I guess, in the innovation, mm-hmm. really, but it was a big deal because, um, there's a guy, I guess, that worked for Mazda. Oh, yeah, uh, Takaharu, uh, Kobayakawa. <laughs> Very good, Ben. I, I mm-hmm. wouldn't have tried that myself. They called him Kobe, I think, for short, right? Yeah, I should have um, said Kobe. And he had worked with Mazda, um, to create a, a winning Le Mans, uh, well, winning Le Mans vehicle, I guess, in 1991. So, you know, he's got racing background, I guess, and he's an engineer for Mazda, and he worked on the RX-7 convertible. And he loves to ski. And he, yeah, that's the other thing, is he loves to ski. So, you know, this is his idea, is that he's going to be able to pull up to the ski lodge someday in, in his convertible comfortably, I guess, with the top down, because, and it's kind of a silly idea, right? Yeah, I mean, it's cool. You, you got a convertible, you want to be able to drive it in the wintertime, um, but you really can't because it's just so darn cold. You know, you know what? Have you ever heard of wind buffeting? You know what that is? Uh, yeah. Do you mean when the, uh, wind kind of has like that after, after blow, like it, it, it goes over you, but then it hits you again yeah. in the back? Yeah. It's like it's coming from the back end of the vehicle and it's, it's just pounding the back of your head and it's, and it's getting stuff all over the windshield and everything, you know, from the inside. Well, he decided that, you know, if I could just create a wind deflector, that would would stop that buffeting. Then the heat vents would work much better. You know, they'd be able to keep me nice and warm. I'd be able to have the top down, and it would be a simple, simple thing, right? So he decides to to invent this thing. It's just really a simple wind blocker, but it helped him, you know, achieve whatever he wanted to do there. He wanted he was able to you know drive around a convertible in the winter time and yep. be relatively comfortable. Because of this wind blocker design, and we've seen that in a lot of different cars. Yeah, almost uh, every other convertible manufacturer picked this one up. Our very last one, um, this is the 1989 Nissan Maxima. And this is a little bit interesting here because um, come with us to the 80s in Japan. Uh, the Japanese excise tax limited all the cars sold in Japan to a maximum of 66 and a half inches wide. So this really... This really gave uh, Japanese automakers a blow below the belt when they were trying to sell luxury cars in America. Yeah, I like that you said come with us to the 1980s because you got to remember in, 19, in the 1980s, anything prior to 1989, any import that you saw was typically very small yeah. com- compared to some of the, the American vehicles that we had here mm-hmm. and some of the other vehicles, I mean, even from other countries that were being imported as well. So the the Japanese imports were very, very small. They, they seemed like they were compact or even subcompact design mainly. Uh, they were unable to compete in the luxury car division or the, the luxury car market. And... You can imagine that, you know, this kind of hurts because, you know, it's a big, it's a big group that they want to be a part of here in the United States because there's yep. a lot of money to be made there. There's a lot of cars to be sold in the, uh, in the luxury cars in, in America, right? So, Acura Legend, um, Acura Legend, I guess I should say, prior to 1989 was kind of a small car. I mean, it yeah. was, uh, it was considered, uh, almost like a compact car or something. It was, yeah. it was definitely not a luxury car, even though that's a luxury brand of Honda. And it wasn't taken too seriously, but finally Nissan uh, changed it in 1989. They introduced the Maxima, which was 69 inches wide. And this is officially the breakout of Japanese cars 
to uh, worldwide or larger sizes. Exactly. So they eliminated the Japanese excise tax. They uh, they said you know you, you can make a car because what, what is uh, 66 and a half inches? That's uh, that's like five and a half feet, there, right? Yeah. Um, well, 69 inches. That's closer to six feet wide. You wouldn't think that'd make a huge difference, but it really does but in the oh interior buddy. car. I mean, that that makes a, a big difference. So you know, able to compete with. Uh, you know, American luxury cars, European luxury cars, that's a big, big uh, boost for them. It's something that, you know, is uh, uh, something that you you can't put a number on something like this because it, it, it changes everything from that point forward. That's true. And, Scott, speaking of changing everything from this point forward, I've got some bad news, my friend. What's that? I think we're going to have to change our strategy and put our superlatives in the next podcast. That's totally fine. I think because uh, we've got we've got a great list of, of automotive firsts that we want to cover, yeah. and I think our listeners will be excited about hearing that. And you know, our buddy our buddy Jonathan is, uh, I think has the studio next. I think he's knocking at the window behind me. Uh, no, he's not. He will yeah, be soon. He will be soon. So we're going to go ahead and make some room for our, our buddies at Tech Stuff for Jonathan and Laura to come in. Um, maybe we'll have him on a show in the future. We hope you've enjoyed our look at this list and we want to know what you think. Do these cars deserve the accolades they're getting? What are some automotive firsts that didn't make it on this list? And uh, well, you got to remember far-reaching automotive firsts. Far-reaching, yes. Big changes. Big changes that led to industry-wide developments. Perfect way to say it, Scott. So write to us on Facebook and write to us on Twitter. Check out carstuffshow.com where we have some fantastic stuff going on online. And send us an email directly. Our address is carstuffatdiscovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.